So our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter 2 and verse 13 through to 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Amen. We sing, we'll just come to God in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the public reading of your precious, infallible word. We thank you that your word directs our paths. We would pray that we would be a people who would walk clearly on that path. And if we have, if we have walked another path, we ask, O oh God, that you would forgive us of our sins. We pray this morning that we might know a sense of your Holy Spirit with us. For without the Spirit of God, there is no feast. And therefore, we pray that we might know the guidance of the Holy Spirit, not just today, but in every day that we live for you. We pray for Jonathan this morning. We pray that you would take him up we pray that he might know the power of the Holy Spirit working in him and through him. And although we hear the, the lips of a man, we would ask, Heavenly Father, that we might hear the lips of the living God. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us with health and strength that allows us to come here this morning. And we think of those who are maybe unwell at this moment in time and unable to join with us. And we just commit each and every one to your care, that your hand would be upon them, that you would restore them, or that you would come alongside them wherever they are this day. Even maybe watching now, we ask for a double portion of your blessing to fall afresh upon them. We thank you that we live in a world which is still governed by the mighty God. We live in a world which is a dangerous place in this current situation, but we know that you are still on the throne, that you are the majestic and mighty everlasting God, the one who holds our breath in his hand. So therefore we pray, Lord, that you would bless us together. Bless us as we lift up our voices in praise and in adoration as we sing this next uh, song, Oh, to see the dawn. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to do that to your glory and to your praise. In his name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's just come to the Lord in prayer as we open his word here in First Peter in chapter 2. Our Lord and our God, we now turn to the pages of your word. We turn to you revealing yourself to us, 
revealing your plans and your purposes for us, for humanity in the pages before us. As we turn, Lord, to what is a challenging passage this morning, we ask that you would be in our midst, that my words would be yours and not mine. Lord, would you speak to us this morning, we pray. Amen. So, we have come through a stunning journey so far in First Peter, haven't we? I won't recap it because it'll take me a while. But what we've come through is understanding that, that Peter is calling the believers the elect exiles, and he has told them what that means. He's explained to them who they are. The two key verses I want you to have in mind, really over the next three Sundays, are verse 9 and verse 12. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a holy people for his own possession. This is who we are. Verse 12 is what we're to do. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So this is who we are, what we're to do, and what Peter does is he moves from just giving us wonderful uh, proclamation and acclamation that Craig has magnificently unpacked for us in the last few weeks. He moves now to give us three examples. So that is why this is entitled Christian Submission Part 1. Funnily enough, next week is Part 2. The following is Part 3, because you'll see that. Right in front of you, it's not hard to see that we have uh, part one of that uh, is verses 13 to 17. We'll look at this morning uh, in terms of how we respond to the government. Verses 18 to 25 is how servants respond to masters. And then Craig will take us through husbands and wives, chapter three, verses one to seven. So really what we've got is an outworking this morning for the next three weeks of verses nine and 12. I want to make a couple of things clear as we come to this passage this morning, which is all about government authority. I want to assure you this morning is not about politics. This morning is not about the Conservatives. It is not about the House of Commons. It's not about the King or even the SNP. It is not about Brexit. It is not about Scottish independence. I have no desire to be political this morning, but I recognize that being a Christian today is increasingly putting us at odds with the political world. And just by being an obedient Christian is more radically becoming a social and a political issue. But what we're going to look at in 1 Peter 2, what Nathan's just read for us, is something that completely transcends political parties and policies and ideologies. It's applicable to all of us, whether you love politics. And I'm sure there's many of you I could get to stand here for half an hour and more eloquently than I could put your uh, p uh, political positions. I don't want to do that. Whether you have no interest in politics whatsoever, you don't align with any party, this is still for you. doesn't matter our view on a monarchy. This is important for you. So this is... At starting point, if you love the Lord Jesus, this matters to you, no matter how much you care about the political world of this country. And the overview of what Peter is doing here is saying, as followers of the Lord Jesus, as temporary citizens in this world, that is, as elect exiles, the way we live under the earthly government should be such a way that it pleases our Heavenly Father and proclaims the good news of Christ to the world. Let's not lose sight. We love the Lord Jesus. We are people of the Lord Jesus. We want to see him glorified above all else. We want to see his name proclaimed. 
That is the two key pieces of information for us. We love the Lord Jesus. We want his name to be known. And this is one of the ways that helps us do that. So we've got three really straightforward things this morning. The first is in verses 13 and 14 on the screen in front of you. Our duty to human government. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. He starts with the emperor as supreme, which of course is Caesar Nero of the time. Throughout the world, of course, there would be lesser governors. The likes of Pontius Pilate would be one. There would be many smaller rulers. So what we're dealing with is big leaders and localized leaders, essentially, within government. And what Peter's saying in these first two words is to be subject to them. I wonder at first reading how that makes you feel. I wonder how you read that and you think, this is great off the pages of Scripture, but put yourself in 21st century Scotland and the political world we live in, I'm not going to be subject to them. That might be the thoughts in your mind, but we're going to unpack this further. We're going to keep going. I want to give us a little bit of context because I think it's valuable. Peter tells us to honor the emperor. That emperor is Nero. Nero is one of the most evil figures of the Roman Empire. He is a great persecutor of Christians. And as part of that persecution, he tortured and killed them. He would wrap Christians in animal skins and pull them limb from limb. He would dip them in hot tar, hang them upside down in his garden during dinner parties and set them on fire for the entertainment of the guests. Okay, so when we are talking about human institutions and governments, that's the sort of context that Peter is talking into. But more than that, Peter won't have only known of Nero, he will have known of a Pilate, the one who washed his hands of the Lord Jesus and then turned him over to be crucified. He also would have known of Herod Antipas, who beheaded John the Baptist as a dancing prize and would later take the purple robe of the Lord Jesus and put it on his own back. And he also would have been a boy in Galilee when Herod the Great killed all the children, the, the young uh, male babies in Bethlehem. So let's get our starting point right. Peter is not naive about the vicious world of government corruption and wickedness. This is where he is. He does not live in a Christian nation. He does not live in a time and place where honoring the Lord Jesus is looked for, accepted, even promoted. He knew firsthand the depravity of man and also the dangers of utterly corrupt political power. That is the world in which this is written to. It is quite unbelievable. Now, pointing to Nero and to Herod and to Pilate is not to somehow say that I believe we have a leader equivalent to that in charge in our nation today. I don't. I think there are, of course, serious challenges, and we have uh, challenges that we have to navigate in terms of promoting acts which are immoral, even barbaric. But I don't think our leaders are certainly in that sort of category. But that is what is being written there. So, our very starting point, and the first statement is, Peter writes this not because he loves the authorities. 
Okay, that's our starting point. Our starting point is we are not to be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution because you love a political party. That is not at all what he's saying here. It does not stem from a love of a party or a government and a monarchy. But where he starts, found in those few words, for the Lord's sake, is that my desire to be an upright, God-honoring citizen of Scotland stems from my love of the King of Kings. That's our starting point and where we are. So he calls us then to be subject or to submit to every human institution. Now, this isn't a matter of us walking around timidly. This isn't uh, an element of us as Christians walking around on eggshells thinking we can't say anything or do anything. But rather, it's making a conscious choice, a choice to submit ourselves. And actually, that's what we're going to find in the next three weeks, is that that is what Christians do. We submit. We submit to people for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. This isn't vague either. This is specific. Every human institution, whether king or those sent by the king. So we honor God by submitting to the laws of the nation whenever, and hear it clearly, whenever they do not conflict with the higher allegiance in which we hold to Christ as king. And when you think about it, we submit to the right for laws to take away our freedoms all the time. We submit to the right for our, our right to be able to drive over 70 miles an hour to be taken away. There might be some smirks as some who drive slightly faster than that at times. But, but we, we give up our right to drive faster than that for the benefit of others. We, we forfeit our right to drive without a seatbelt. We forfeit our right to, to make noises in the middle of the night, because uh, to make loud noises that would disrupt our neighbors, because that's what ASBOs were for back in the day, uh, so that we don't disrupt people. We forfeit our right not to pay taxes. We forfeit our right not to build a house without planning permission. There are hundreds of things, hundreds of things in which we accept the government's rights to limit our rights, especially when the, uh, the good of others is at stake. We understand that governments exist to limit our right to choose, and we submit to that. There are caveats we are coming to that. And that's where we are. But do not submit. There are times. And I want us to understand this really, really carefully of what to be subject does not mean. I do not believe that Peter is saying absolute, total, wholehearted obedience to governing powers in all causes without any exception whatsoever. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that we would submit to every institution of government so long as it does not require us at the same time to disobey the clear commands of God revealed in his words. Let's give an example of disobedience. You remember before Jesus ascended to the Father, Jesus commanded his disciples to go. To go and make disciples in his name, to baptize them and teach them to observe all that he had commanded but of course, it wasn't very long before Peter and the others were confronted by the civil authorities that were not very happy. They were ordered, weren't they, to stop preaching. They were ordered to stop teaching. The resurrected Lord Jesus who said, go forth and preach. And the authorities had said, stop. What did they do? Well, we know that through human history tells us, the church, the fact that we sit here today tells us what they chose 
to do. And there is a time when that choice has to be made whose authority should be ultimate. I love these words, Acts chapter 4. But Peter and John said to them, that's the authorities, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I'm sorry, tell us to do what you like, but we've seen and heard of the risen Lord Jesus and we're going to preach him whether you like it or not. That's where they, that's where they are. They respectfully, and that's the key word, they are totally respectful, continued to preach. And they then went on to make in the next chapter, in Acts 5, what I reckon is one of the greatest political statements ever made. We must obey God rather than men. That's a great phrase, isn't it? We must obey God rather than men. Let me give you a couple of examples. The Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1, Shifra and Puah, were right to disobey Pharaoh's commands to kill all of the Hebrew baby boys. They were right to do it. They were right to disobey. Daniel was right to pray in direct contradiction to the laws of King Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were right to refuse to worship the golden statue. John the Baptist was right to, to rebuke Herod for his sexual sin and his perversion in Luke 3. He was right to do so. These are just a few examples. There are many in the pages of scriptures of times when it is right for God's people to stand against the authorities. And when we're put in that position of obeying either a clear commandment of God or something that is contrary, a commandment of man, then we are to obey God every time. Because that is what we obey, that is what we owe to God as our obedience. But unless we are actually commanded by a human government to deliberately and defiantly disobey God, we are to be sure to submit ourselves to every authority of man. That is what we, in obedience to God, owe to Caesar. That is what we owe. We don't owe the government absolute obedience, but rather we owe it submission and to be subject to because we love God. There are things in our land that we cannot agree with. We hold and believe firmly that the Lord knits together a child in the womb. And we believe that the mother of that child in that womb is wrong. We live in a land that has seen 150,000 or more babies murdered in the last 10 years. There is blood on the hands of our nation. And it is evil and it is wrong. We believe that the Lord has given us clear definition and boundaries of what a man and a woman is. We believe that God has a, ma- a design for marriage for one man and for one woman. And these are things in our culture that are completely, that make our submission in these areas completely incompatible with honoring God. But we can still honor these leaders. And I think that's what I've learned as I've gone through this this week is the difference between obedience and honoring. That, that, that we can honor leaders whilst disobeying and disagreeing with them well. So why should we submit? If this is not our eternal home, if we are elect exiles, why can't we all just be anarchists and just go do what we want? Will you look carefully at verse 13? And this is one of our growth group questions for this week. Why should we submit to every human institution? It's simply there for the Lord's sake. 
it is because the Lord himself has granted authority to human governments. If we obey him, then we place ourselves in submission to those that are placed over us, even when those places don't always obey him like they should. Paul puts it wonderfully for us in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That is the nature of our duty to the human government. Our duty to the human government is submission. And I think for us to disobey that misses the bigger picture of what God is doing through the faithful submission of Christians to their leaders. I think our submission to the authorities is a wonderful apologetic. It is a wonderful way of us showing our faith. And we'll move then, secondly, as to why God has given us this duty. Verses 15 and 16. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You see, this will, may sound terrible to you. And if you don't know and love the Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, I do not aim to offend you. We will explain it. But what we read is that those who do not believe are foolish. Now, that doesn't mean they're not intelligent. It doesn't mean that at all. But rather to say someone is foolish in this sense is to say that even though there may be a recognition of a, a God somewhere out there, foolish people suppress the truth about God. The word that Peter uses for foolishness is agnosia, the word that we get uh, agnostic from. That's exactly what he means. It's, it's not a matter of not being able to know the truth, but it's a matter of not being willing to know the truth. That's the foolishness, the, the, the foolish people that sit in here. And a heart that is darkened by foolishness, people may often speak in ignorance against us, against those who follow the Lord Jesus. There is often a lack of understanding of why we love God and why we choose to obey him and why we take a 2,000-year-old book seriously. We may be called intolerant. We may be called backwards. And they think of us as the foolish ones because we won't go along with a crowd. That's okay because Peter puts it in black and white for us here. This is how the Christians may be treated then. This is how it may be now. There was ignorance then, there is ignorance now. You may find in this day and age that people associate us with some of the most wicked and evil acts that have been done on earth in the name of the faith. But I think what's very, very important is that we've got to be careful about shaking our fingers and judging people here. Why? Because we were once like them. Because we too were once foolish. Before you had the grace of God poured upon you, before your heart was transformed and your mind was renewed, Titus, it's written for us fabulously, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. How do we silence foolishness? It's not about mocking. It's not about aggression. It's not also that we pull ourselves away and become hermits. But we do so by doing good. It's that second line there. By doing good. And in this context, doing good means submission to the government. It means submission to institutions. It is God's will that all of us that know and believe the Lord Jesus, his elect exiles in the world, be the very best citizens of all. No matter the human government we are under. So that his son, the Lord Jesus, might be glorified. And when the unbelieving world see us behave like that, remember, we're all the way back into uh, verse 12, aren't we? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How do you do that? By honoring your government. That's exactly the link, exactly what's written for us. When people see us honor and behave in a way that is godly, it goes a long way to silencing ignorant and foolish accusations. You know, we try and imagine for a moment the context here of Rome, the persecution that loomed large for the Christians, the hatred that would remain for a good number of years ahead of them. Yet they would not disobey God. They would not forsake. They would not disobey God, but they would also submit to the emperor. It is remarkably radical. It is remarkable that we would be called to submit in a circumstance where it may be hard to see purpose. And we come then to that verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That, may, uh, that servants can also be slaves. I'm not going to touch on that just now because that's next week. Um, th th this phrase slave and what that looks like. But what this is saying is that we need to live carefully. We live carefully to make sure that if accusations are laid upon us, they are not justified. Why? Because we're living righteously before God, we're shining light into the darkness, and we're walking in obedience to Him. The simple message is this, brothers and sisters, the world is watching. There isn't that many of us <laughs> as believers in the Lord Jesus in our land. There's not as many of us as there once was. But each one of us is a gospel tract. Each one of us may be, in fact, almost certainly there will be people in your lives and you are the only Christian that they know. There is a fair chance that for somebody, your life is all they may see of the Lord Jesus. What are you telling them? What is your life telling them? I don't think the answer is to be an angry political rebel. Why? Because our purposes are so much greater than that. Because our message is so much more important, so much more urgent, and so much more beautiful for a world that desperately needs Jesus. So if people hear us say we are free in Christ, 
People look at us and they look at the ways in which we express that freedom. If we use that freedom to badmouth our leaders, are, are compromised in the way that we obey, if we try to use systems to our own advantage whilst treating people unjustly, all under this cloak of freedom, then how can we expect anybody to have any interest in listening to us talk about our Jesus? So we are called to live in faithful submission to the governing powers that God has placed over us. So that when unbelievers take a closer look at our lives, they might see something of us that is consistent, that is obedient, but ultimately cares most about the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We're not to lie. We're not to pretend to agree with ungodliness. Please hear me right. But we do pray for and honor and act like we really, really, really want our leaders to succeed. Not in their own agendas, but in God's. So that we might live peaceful and quiet lives, as Paul would say. I want to give you an example. This is William Carey. There are many missionaries of this period that went to India. But I think this puts it into practice. In India in the middle of the 1800s, it was a normal practice for widows to throw themselves on top of the funeral mound of their husbands and be burnt alive. This was a terrible cultural practice. And it had grown from its worship of the culture. Why did it end? Because those like William Carey took the gospel to India. They put their hands to the plough. They sowed the gospel seed. And they cried out against evil. But they did so whilst honouring, loving and patiently living amongst the people. You see, the people of God living out the ways of God is a powerful force for evangelism and discipleship. People care now not about our message, but our conduct. People care now not about what we say, but who we are and how we treat them. So how do we keep this? This is this verse, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I've written it like this deliberately because I think honor everyone is the umbrella term. Honor everyone is the phrase, and the other three are almost like legs of a stool that support this phrase, honor everyone. And to get these three underneath right is good. This is snappy. I, quite, I like snappy verses. They're good to preach from. It's probably not going to be our verse of the year for next year. Um, but we have this very short four-sentenced verse that finishes us. Honor everyone is simply that. As people in the Lord Jesus, we believe that there is an inherent value to all of human life. We are to treat all people in all walks of life, in every position, with absolute respect and honor them. This is the overarching phrase. It is hard, again, for us to understand how radical this phrase is in the Roman Empire. Honor everyone. As we're going to see, husbands, honor your wife's masters honor your slaves, adults honor children. This is an incredible statement. But it's a statement of our Lord Jesus. It is what he taught, is what he showed, is what he knew. Honor everyone. And he, he breaks, Peter breaks down for us, I think, just into three little slots, three little applications for us. The first there is love, the brotherhood. This is, of course, speaking of our Christian fellowship. This is speaking of our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus. We are to love them. We're to have a special kind of love. We're to have a special kind of love for believers that we don't have for unbelievers. We are to hold dear 
our fellow Christians. Why do we give that such priority, as Jesus would say? By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You will have hopefully got one of the emails about our Meet the Neighbour lunches. One of the reasons we want to do that is an opportunity for you to get to meet folks, more people within your general sort of area. We went with six lunches because it's about 50 people, which seems relatively reasonable for you to have a chance to get to know folks. This isn't just for members. If we don't have contact details for you, an email address, you won't have the email, please give it to me on the door um, and we'll get that sent out to you. But it's this idea, we, how do we encourage one another to grow in our love for one another? Well, let's provide more opportunities to spend time together. I think that's a good start. Second, fear God. We're not to be afraid of God, but we look at him as children with utter respect for their dads. We give him chief reverence in our hearts and we respect and we honor him to the point where we would be afraid to disobey him. If we fear him, we do not fear anything else. And finally, we are to honor the emperor. Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight: you shall not revile God nor curse a leader of your people. We like the first half of that. We're good with the first half. You shall not revile God. Okay, we can do that. Nor curse a ruler of your people. It is never appropriate for followers of the Lord Jesus to personally attack our leaders. We can address wrong behavior and bad decisions. It's totally valid. We must, but not by personal slander. There's a litmus test that I was thinking of this week. You take our political leaders... Let's take a few of them. Let's take Humza Yusuf. Let's take Rishi Sunak. Let's take our local, local councillors. Would you rather see them fail or be saved? Would you rather see them fail and fall apart where they are, or would you rather they come to know the Lord Jesus? Your instant and first reaction may tell you something of the nature of your heart. Would we rather mock them or would we rather pray for them? Because one is the godly behavior that Peter calls us to here. And one, as verse 11 would say, is giving in to the passions of the flesh which wage war to your soul. Do we see the difference? So now we put all these three things together. Love the people of God. Fear God. Honor the authorities. But notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say love the emperor. It doesn't say fear the emperor. It's not saying you have to love the government. It's not saying you have to live in fear of them. You shouldn't, but we should honor them. And when we begin to get this right, when we begin to understand what the Lord is asking us to, to love his church as Christ loved the church, to fear God as the holy and awesome one that he is, to honor the authorities in which he has put in place above us, we begin to see the balance of what it means to honor everyone. So we close really just by saying, friends, the world is watching. We are out working. We are all pilgrims on the way. We are all sojourners. We are all elect exiles working our way towards the eternal kingdom. We're all on our way. But we don't want to be hermits. We don't want to hide away from the world. We want to live in this world in faithful obedience to him. And we do so by rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Do you know, in AD 60, when Peter wrote this letter, Nero violently opposed the church. 
And it's reckoned, of course, these numbers are speculative, but it's reckoned when this was written, a one hundredth of one percent of Rome knew Jesus. A hundredth of a percent. Over the next 150 years, that number grew to a massive 0.5 of a percent. 150 years. But guess what? By the early 300s, when the Christian faith would finally receive legal status, over 10% worshipped Jesus. And 50 years later, upwards of half the empire was Christian. And I think so much of that is because the Christians recognized their call their primary call was to take the good news of the Lord Jesus to the nations. And they did so by being honorable citizens, conducting themselves well, as verse 12 asks us to do. Despite the severe persecution that they faced, they were not political renegades, but they were people that were committed to Jesus and loved Jesus. So in obedience to the King of Kings, let us indeed be those who honor everyone even those that we find hardest to do so for. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we take some time, it would be only right to do so, to commit before you the authorities of our lands. Lord, we pray especially for our King. We ask, Lord, uh, we thank you for the awareness that he has raised uh, in these last few weeks of prostate cancer. We ask, Lord, that you would be near him. We ask that through his... Um, his treatment of everything that, that he will face we ask lord that you would be near and we ask lord that by your spirit you might move amongst that family that we might see uh, an entire monarchy that knows and loves the lord jesus that professes you that would see you and your ways in this nation lord for scotland we pray for uh, our local councillors lord we pray for those who as best as they believe uh, are serving us we pray for those who are at work constitutionally we pray that they would know what is right, Lord, that you would be at work again there, that we would have a voice, that we would speak when we need to speak, that we would not lie down and allow things that go against your word and your ways, but that we might stand up, that we might honor, but we might disagree in the ways that it is right to do so. Lord, we pray for Humza Yusuf and the rest of our government. We ask, Lord, that there may be a revealing of your grace there. We recognize, Lord, that as much of the policy that comes that does not honor you, and we want to see it honor you. Lord, we ask that you would help us. It is not easy for us to honor when we disagree, but help us, Lord, by your grace to do so. And for our national government, Lord, for Rishi Sunak, for the rest of the government in London too, we commit them into your hands. We ask that you would be at work there. We ask again that there may just be an outpouring of your grace. Lord, give gospel opportunities to believers that are in and around these environments. But help us as your people to honor those that we may vehemently disagree with, Lord. Help us to honor, help us to be, to be good citizens because our message is not a political one. Our message is that Jesus Christ saved and he died for the ungodly. Lord, we thank you for your word to us, as challenging as it may be. Bless the rest of our gathering, we pray. Amen.